Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Welcome back to another episode of Ladies Who Punt. My name is Fiona Blair and joining me today is my co-host Grace Ramage. Hi Grace. Hello Fee and hello everybody listening to yet another episode of Ladies Who Punt. Uh, We are excited to be back for this episode where we're going to be looking into and deep diving into the land of jockeys. Yes Grace, but before we get stuck into that, tell me how was the Warnable Carnival? We had a little break last week. Yeah. Uh, how was the atmosphere and did you have a runner over those three days? Yeah, so I was down at Warnable last week from Monday until Thursday night and it's so much fun. So if anyone has never been to the Warnable Carnival before and you're really starting to fall in love with the sport of racing, you have to go to this carnival because it's like nothing else. It is a far cry from what you'd see, you know, during the spring carnival at the at Flemington during the Melbourne Cup week. It's totally different. It's like almost stepping back in time to um, you know the glory days of racing where everyone's just mingling together discussing who's going to who's going to win the next race and you know a plunge horse that's been backed later in the day and you know it's just such a great atmosphere of like-minded people all having fun um and I did have a runner over the carnival a horse that I've got a small share in called Hinto Blue he was in a race on the on the first day of the carnival he paid 28 to 1 but genuinely in the straight he was two lengths leading the field so we were all screaming like he was the winner and to us he pretty much what was he he finished third but it was such a thrill for us and the other group of owners to you know run well at the Warnable Carnival so it was a lot of fun a little bit tired a little <laughs> bit congested but that's okay we push on. Now coming back to this week we as you said, are taking a look at jockeys. In previous episodes, we have covered a lot of topics that affect a horse's form. Things like gear changes, barriers and speed maps. But now it's time to look at the influence that the jockeys can have on race day. Yeah, that's right, Fee, because when you think about it, and in terms of the part that the jockeys play on race day, it is everything to the way that a race will unfold. You know, as people that are interested in the sport and trying to find the winner of a race, you can do all the form analysis in the world and owners and trainers and connections can do everything they want in the lead up to a race. But ultimately, what happens in the race is purely dictated to by the jockey and also the way that the horse is reacting or running with the jockey on top. So it's it's a huge element to racing, but also in a sense um, to deep dive into some of those things that jockeys think about, um, you know, how they prepare for a race, what motivates them most of all, um, you know, when they strive to succeed, what is that main goal that they might be trying to achieve every time they go out to race ride. You know, there there are lots of things on the mental side for jockeys that a lot of people might not really realise. So that's what we're going to try and decode today, along with our special guest. 
That's right, we will be discussing all of that with our special guest soon. But we also have some really great racing this week. We have the South Australian Derby Group 1 at Morefootville and also some nice racing at Flemington. So after our interview with our special guest, we will be previewing two races, one from Morefootville and one from Flemington. So everyone can have a little bit of form before going into the weekend. And I'll try and tip us into the winner. Um, which is going to be tough because I've had a really bad run of it recently. But that's okay because you always try and learn from what you've done wrong and build on it um, to go better next time. And that, those two races that we're going to look at, they're huge fields. And I actually, um, you know, I found some horses that I think are over the odds. So mm, we'll get to that good. shortly. Excellent. But first, let's go to our interview with our special guest. Well, let's get straight into our interview with the special guest and just a quick introduction, a guessing game to see if you guys can work it out. This is an apprentice jockey. She's female. So far in her short career, she has had 104 wins and accumulated just shy of $3 million in overall prize money. And she's certainly one to watch in the coming years. And we are so excited to have Laura Lafferty joining us today. Hi, Laura. How are you going? I'm well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, it's great to have you on because um, you're going to be a really good person to talk to in our endeavours to decode the land of jockeys. And I suppose a really good place to start is tell us a little bit about your journey. So for those who don't know who Laura Lafferty is or, you know, how you became to be a jockey, just give us a quick update on your path to now being race riding. Yeah, I hope I can um, depict a nice picture for jockeys as a whole. I was fortunate enough, and you will find with a lot of jockeys for some reason, um, sort of get involved in the industry through knowing someone. Majority families, it's very family-orientated community, which is really nice, and I'm one of many. My father um, was a trainer and my grandfather Um, My dad still is a trainer. He was a jockey for a brief period of time. So I grew up um, around horses. He was always training. He still is. I'm indentured under him as an apprentice at the moment. Um, So I grew up riding horses, but I was never necessarily really involved in racing. I was always show jumping. I loved show jumping, dressage, and I would have ponies and sort of eventing horses so I was heavily involved in show jumping and I always worked around the racehorses and went to the races but I never really um, imagined myself working full-time in racing and I don't know why that is. I'd done year 12 and I was still running and show jumping at the time and I quickly learned that there's not much money in show jumping and so I incorporated earning an income Um, with racing so I ended up working for another stable in Warrnambool as well as helping my dad out um, which happened to be Darren Weir so I was just working on the ground um, in racing and obviously I was at that age where I sort of had to decide um, a more serious career path I guess and one thing really led to another and I randomly put in an application to get my apprentice jockey license and I got my apprenticeship jockey license and one thing led to another 
and I turned up at apprentice school one day and I never left. So um, really loving it and I'm so glad I chose this path. Um, it does vary who um, they take every year. In my year, they took 10. Um, in some years, they take four, but it usually ranges from about four to 10 every year. They take a group of apprentices. Um, you go into apprentice school for about 12 months before you make it to the actual racetrack. Um, and that's if you do make it to the racetrack, uh, which majority of us do. Um, and throughout that 12 months, you're pretty much just learning tactics. Um, you speak with a dietitian. Uh, we go in there once a month for a couple of days every month. Um, but there's you're touching base with the coaches pretty much every second or third day. So we're touching base with people from apprentice school, uh, whether it be a dietitian one week or a physio the next, um, in assisting you know our progression through our four years. That's how long an apprenticeship um, lasts. And I think that general public don't realize I think because we're passengers on a horse how much our skill base entails so and it's something I didn't realize being on the other side of the fence almost when I was in school and running even though my dad was a horse trainer and I was around horses all my life um once you get into the tactical side of being a jockey how much there is to it whether it's diet or physio uh, fitness, um, all things, you're pretty much an elite athlete. And I think sometimes it can be taken away from a jockey because the horse is doing the work. They're also an elite athlete, but there can be two. And, and there is that work in unison. And um, so, yeah, it's, it took me and usually 12 months to sort of hit the racetrack and then you're pretty much ready to go. And how does the claiming system work? So at different stages of being an apprentice, you can claim for different amounts of weights. So how does that work? Is it based on wins or prize money or or just the year that you're in in your apprentice program? Once you're out on the racetrack, you're competing against, you know, the likes of Damien Oliver and people that, um, riders, sorry, that have been riding for 40 years. And um, it's like no other sport where it, females and males can beat on a very level playing base so I guess to narrow that in a little more and make it more enticing for trainers and owners to put um jockeys on that are just starting out um you are allowed a claim so to help with the handicap system you're taking weight off of a horse which um essentially um sort of gives them an advantage I guess it's like running with a backpack on against something someone that's not running with a backpack on and so it's giving the horse that that extra bit of advantage by taking weight off of their back to essentially run quicker and so there's two parts to that there's a country circuit where that entails like places like Warnable, Benalla, Echuca, sort of those sort of areas and you claim four. Uh, once you ride four winners, you then claim three. Once you ride 25 winners, then you claim one and a oh, sorry, two and so on and so on. Um, 
I think once you reach 80 winners, then you do not have a claim. And then so that claim starts again in Melbourne metro areas. So once you make your way to the city, like Melbourne, Sandown, Mooney Valley meetings, um, you don't claim four, but you claim three, which is still a substantial amount. Um, and then that goes off of winners again once you um, – ride I think it's yeah about 25 winners that goes down to two kilos and so on and it's just a an incentive for trainers to put you on ahead of the likes of um say Damien Oliver who obviously um it are better riders at that stage um of your career as you're developing yeah, absolutely. So it's exactly as you say, once you get to 80 winners, be it in the country or in the city, um, your claim goes to zero and you just, once you finish apprentice school, you become a senior jockey. So um, that's the way it works. Thanks for explaining that to us, Laura. You mentioned something a little bit earlier, which was really interesting. Um, the fact that it is such a pl- open playing field, like it's men and women are treated equally among the jockey ranks you know there's no claim for being a female jockey versus the male and yet females are still as successful if not more successful when you look at what's happening at the moment with the likes of Jamie Carr and Linda Meach um, and others as well why do you think that is you know is it because there's more of a reliance on just you know the horsemanship the skills the balance rather than just strength like do you have any sort of opinion either way on why that is you know men and women are really the gap is just becoming much smaller between the two like you said Jamie Carr and Linda Meach they're just really making their way to the top and even Rachel King and up in Sydney like around the world there are so many great female um jockeys and and trainers Gay Waterhouse and it's just narrowing the gap so greatly which is which is great and I think we'll learn more in time as to why that might be but at the moment I think with the use of the whip becoming less and less balance is so much more important now than it ever was um I think the way you know certain female jockeys are able to ride a horse can sometimes be a lot better than maybe a more aggressive way than the males have done so in the past and the way racing is changing a little bit um, is a bit more less aggressive as to if you, I were to watch a replay from when dad was riding, for example, is very, you know, full on. Whereas now we're riding much more patiently and it's much more fluent and it's, it is less aggressive. And I think um, the more that is, we're riding a race, we're tactically more, you know, switched on and um, better quality stock possibly as well. Um, The training is different too. Like horses are being sent to the beach and off-premises to a race track to, you know, for their well-being. And I think there are a lot of horses you'll find already trying very hard. So using the whip is just that that little one percenter, whereas before possibly – um, you know, you're really provoking them to to run um, as quick as they can. Whereas now I think, you know, a lot of horses I, I sit on want to do it. And so you're just assisting them almost sometimes. So 
I think it's a combination of different things, but it's so great. And I think we'll learn more as, you know, more female jockeys um, come through the riding ranks as well. But um, it is great to see females and males match it on the same same level. It certainly is. Like it's such a unique part of racing that I don't think is probably celebrated enough, you know, this thing of men and women competing against each other. And it's really interesting your thoughts on that, Laura. Mostly what I'm hearing is that the sport has become a lot more professional. The trainers are really educating their horses to, to race a certain way and be fit uh, where the whip isn't as necessary as it may have been um, back in the day. Uh, so I guess that does really open the window for women to have a much more prominent role in, in racing. So we're going to go on to a listener question. Now, this is more about what happens on race day. So one of our listeners has written in that they would like to know how does riding a horse down to the barriers, how do you use that to get a feel for a horse? Like, does that give you, do you, do you use your instincts at that point to see how the horse is feeling and going? Or what are you looking for in a horse when you ride them to the barriers? Horses are so much more educated now, which is great. It makes our job a lot easier. But on certain occasion, absolutely um, instincts for sure. Um, and then on other occasions, you really do get a great feel of horses going to the gate. So it's a bit of a mix, um, really. But you can get a great gauge. I feel like a lot of times... Um, you know, you might be trotting off to the gates and go for a canner to the gates and, you know, that uh, instincts probably, yeah, is the right word, instincts. You just feel like the horse is just airborne, like it's just floating on top of the ground and you're just like a little spark goes off on, in your head and you just think, wow, like this horse feels really nice, like this this might win or like, you know, you just get that inkling little um feeling I guess you can sort of get a good gauge as to um even the mindset of the horse on that day compared to visually seeing its race races prior um I know one of my big wins a few months ago in Sydney um the horse was over racing quite a lot in its replays and I canned it to the gates and it was just it was beautiful and I thought obviously once the gates open you know, they, they're quite competitive animals. and um, But it just felt really beautiful. And so I was pretty confident um, just trotting to the gates. It was airborne. It just was so happy. It was just floating across the ground effortlessly. And so it ended up relaxing really well, that race, and it ended up winning. And so you can get a bit of an inkling feeling towards going to the gates so my next question for you is when the barriers open, you've got a plan in your head, what are the main things that you're thinking about in the run? Like obviously you're hoping that, you know, the plan unfolds as you wish it to, but are there other things that you're, you know, constantly thinking about in the run, in a race? Yeah, for sure. Um, as you mentioned, you do a bit of form before you go to the races. Everyone's a little bit different. I know Jamie Carr doesn't you know, do her head in too much over form. She rides a lot on instincts. Um, and then, you know, you've got Craig Williams, who's really um, loves doing form. I think there's, I'm pretty like 
in the middle. I love doing a bit of form, but obviously once the gates open, anything can happen and you're really putting a lot of trust into the trainers and track riders who do a magnificent job at home to get them right to be there on the day. So uh, we do have an easy job in that regards that we're just there on the day trying to do um, our best in assisting them to get the best possible run in transit at that time. Um, But, yeah, I think uh, sort of what I've learned is definitely just personally to not make a decision too quickly. I think like the first 200 metres of a race, you should just come out um, and be quite neutral unless your instructions are to go forward or to go back. And I think it's really important more often than not, if you don't force the issue, a lot of times things naturally um, progress. And so many people sort of told me early on, like, you know, just relax, things will happen. Um, And I thought, well, i got to make it happen. Like, I've got to go commit to something, whether I want to go forward or, or, you know, go back in a race. But um, it is, I guess, with experience and Jamie Carr and all the good jockeys will tell you this, but you do become, you do trust in the process a lot more. I'm really interested in the technique of race riding. So it's so distinctive to to racing the stirrups are short you're up out of the saddle your weight's over the neck of the horse and the thing that I'm really keen to understand is when you are riding out with your hands like what do they call it punching yep punching the horse out what is it about are you trying to assist the horse in going forward like what are the biomechanics of that a lot of it is with to do with wind resistance that's why we're very low um to close to the horse yeah their center of gravity is towards their wither and so when they're stretching out when you're able to sort of get a little bit more forward and over their neck you're pretty much assisting the horse to really lengthen and when they're lengthening it usually means they're going faster so you're pushing the horse to lengthen their stride which they're covering more ground and yeah running faster I guess So just the last question for you, Laura, what are some of those things that you really like to feel or like a certain position or you just have that feeling that something's going right in a race? I'm really interested to get your thoughts on both of those. It is honestly like you're driving a car and you might be driving, uh, say, I, I don't know much about cars, but like a Toyota maybe or just even your lawnmower at home and you're just not going very quick and you're just like oh yeah like um and then you get in maybe a Mercedes or something and as soon as you hit the pedal like it goes and it is honestly like that feeling like as soon as you hit the pedal like it goes and although there's no pedal you might just be able to um horses are very sound responsive so for us, we might give it a click up, in other words. So we'll just like that. And they're very responsive. Um, so they'll just go from cruising to really grabbing the bridle and improving and in lengthening. And you just get that feeling like um, you're in the car and you sort of go back in your seat. Uh, it's honestly like that feeling. So that's definitely, yeah, the, the good feeling. And 
you're just usually traveling up so well and the horse is doing it so effortlessly. Um, I guess it's like riding a bike as well. Um, when you have to pedal, it's a bit harder than when you're on a motorbike and it's just doing it for you. <laughs> so that's honestly what it's like. Yeah. Thank you so much, Laura, for being on our podcast. And honestly, you really painted a picture with your words and explaining things to our audience, which was amazing because that's exactly what we were looking for in trying to understand, you know, um, the mind of a jockey. So really appreciate your time and thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And thanks for asking me. It was really good. Now, Grace, after that enlightening chat with Laura, it is time to get into this weekend's form. We are going to cover two races this week, one at Flemington and one at Morfittville. Let's start with Morfittville, where we are taking a look at race eight, the Group 1 South Australian Derby. So, Grace, the South Australian Derby is a Group 1. It's a set weights race for three-year-olds. So, the set weight for the boys is 56 and a half. And then there's one filly in the race who gets a two-kilo allowance, and that is Lady Chant. There's a $2.80 favourite in this race with Allegron. What do you think of his chances, and who else do you like in this race? Well, if we start with the favourite, Allegron, um, I think he definitely deserves to be right in the mix at the top of the betting of this race. But to be honest, $2.80 favourite is probably a bit short for Allegron when I'm considering the strength of the opposition in this field. So this horse, Allegron, was a last start winner at Flemington of another three-year-old feature race called the St. Ledger. It's run over 2,800 metres. So Allegron's actually dropping back 300 metres to the 2,500 metres here. So he's an out-and-out stayer, this horse. The further he goes, the better he goes. Like, he will stay all day. And prior to winning the St. Ledger last start, he was so good um, in what was a great battle to the finish line in the ATC derby up in Sydney um, behind Hitotsu uh, on a heavy track that day. So this horse just continues to front up. Uh, he's so genuine. We know that he stays, which is a big tick when we're doing the form analysis here. There are some horses that you might have seen in their recent runs um, getting up to this 2,500 metre trip whether they started at 2,000 metres last start or a mile, that aren't finishing strongly, they're probably ones that you don't want to side with now getting out to 2,500 metres. So big tick in the box for Allegron that he will definitely stay the trip um, and he's very genuine. We know, we know what he'll produce and it'll be a good performance again. But there's just a few horses um, that I think are going as well as him. They may not have necessarily had the wins on the board or, or the narrow placings on the board that he's had, um, but they're going really well. So aside from Allegron, um, the ones that I want to talk about actually come through the same last start. And that was at Morfaville, so at the same track, over 2,000 metres in a race called the Chairman Stakes, which was for the three-year-olds again at Group 3 level. Now, this was a really fast run race and quite a few horses are coming out of that race and are now in the derby. But the winner and the second horse were clearly the runs of the race, in my opinion, the winner being Jungle Magnate and the second horse being Harley Movin. Both of these horses now line up in the derby. 
I'm really taken with what these horses did that day because it was such a fast tempo, but they really sprouted wings. Like they were so far back in the field, they were entitled to run on given the early pace of the race, but they were so strong to the line. Um, there was only 0.8 of a length that separated them there, and I find it hard to to really split them again here. It also makes it tricky that they've drawn barrier 12 and barrier 11, so they're right next to each other. But in terms of the way that I'm playing this race, they're the two that I really want to focus in on. Taking a look at the market, um, as we're recording this fee, Jungle Magnate opened $9, is now into $6.50. So I've missed the price on that horse. He's been <laughs> really well backed and I can totally understand why. Um, so I'm keen on Jungle Magnate with Mark Zara aboard. And the other one is Harley Moven that came out of the same race and ran second. He's at $7.50 for Saturday. So the way I'd be playing this race is having, um, you know, a small or I suppose a medium sized win bet on both of those horses, hoping that one of the two win and beat the favorite in Allegron and also the second favorite in a horse called Detonator Jack. Now, we'll just quickly touch on this horse because he's really interesting. He is in his first racing preparation, trained by Kiramar and David Eustace, and he's unbeaten. He's had three starts for three wins. Wow. But this is what Kiramar and David Eustace have done in the past. They've brought a horse by the name of Hitotsu at his third start for them in the spring, last spring, to win a Victoria Derby, which was unheard of to be, you know, three starts into your into a horse's preparation out to 2,500 metres to have the fitness and the stamina on their side. Um, it was quite amazing, that performance, but they're doing it again here with Detonator Jack. And the fact that he's unbeaten and he's um, had the three runs, so this will be his fourth run, there's a lot to like about what he's doing. Um, and he clearly is one of the main dangers at $4.50 with John Allen in the saddle. But um, the way that I'm playing this race is a medium-sized win bet on Jungle Magnate at $6.50 and Harley Moven at $7.50 um, to try and win on the on the South Australian Derby. Just from what you've said, I think I'm going to go with detonated jack uh, to win three in a row is very tricky like you've got to be a talented horse and like you said uh Kirima and dave eustace are pros at getting these horses out to a trip with yep. not many runs so um yeah uh, you really sold me on detonated jack good just ignore everything i said about the horses i like you know what fee it's actually a good way to play because i've not been informed recently <laughs> Okay, let's move on to our second form preview. We're going to Flemington now for race seven. It's the Lexus Andrew Ramston listed race over 2,800 metres. So this is a set weights race again, but rather than just three-year-olds, it's for three, four, and five-year-olds. And another thing that's interesting to note is that in this race, apprentices can't claim. So just a nod back to our uh, conversation with Laura earlier. Um, the other interesting thing about this race is that it's actually a golden ticket race into the Melbourne Cup. So if you win this race, you are guaranteed a spot in the Cup. And Grace, explain to me how that's such an advantage to get one of these golden ticket spots. Well, the golden ticket that's on offer um, basically is so important for, or such an incentive, I suppose, for trainers when it comes to two races on our calendar, that is the Melbourne Cup and the Caulfield Cup. And the reason is these races are so hard to get into that the only way you can guarantee yourself to get into the race is to win enough races to be rated highly enough and therefore incur a high weight 
to ensure your spot in the race. And Grace, just um, in terms of explaining that uh, higher rating, so you need a high rating to get into the Melbourne Cup. How is the Melbourne Cup weighted? Is it just purely ratings based? Exactly. So it's a pure handicap. Like we discussed in an earlier episode, the higher your handicap rating, the higher your weight will be. Whereas if you win a golden ticket race, you don't have to win another race in the lead up to the Melbourne Cup. Um, you can literally secure your spot with a low weight and not have to worry about gaining entry. So it's actually a massive advantage and a huge incentive to trainers. Uh, a lot of people know that that's what they're here to play for in the Andrew Ramsden on Saturday. It's it's clearly been on the agenda for these horses' campaigns. It's a real grand final race for them. So basically by winning this golden ticket, your rating is not taken in consideration for the entry into the race, which means if you have a lower rating, like some of these horses I'm looking at, you know, Regina, for example, is rated 69. They would have an incredibly low weight in a race like the Melbourne Cup where you're up against horses, you know, probably around the 100 mark. Exactly. That's exactly it, Fee. Okay, so now that we've explained the importance of this race and and why we're previewing it today, because we're going to have a look at our first official Melbourne Cup runner after this race, uh, who are you looking at, Grace? Well, this is going to be a fascinating tactical race, and I'm so excited about it because the two horses at the top of betting, we have the favourite by the name of Splendiferous at $3.50 at the moment and Point Nepean at $3.90. So not much splits them at the moment at the top of betting. But both of these horses like to sit on speed. And in fact, they both like to lead up in their races. So tactically, over 2,800 metres at Flemington, we could have, you know, a really good battle on from the get-go. Both horses on speed, um, you know, a real survival of the stamina horse I suppose in the end and both of these horses have shown great stamina in the past Splendiferous is the favorite from the Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott stable she won a race in Adelaide last Saturday so she's on the quick backup here seven day backup Um, that race was over 2500 meters so she's stepping up an extra 300 she was on speed that day and she was so strong to the line. They went at a fast tempo and she just kept on kicking in the straight. And, you know, another 300 metres I think will be no concern to her whatsoever. And then you've got Point Nepean who's been doing much of the same as well. And this horse, in fact, uh, Point Nepean is going to be ridden by Alana Kelly, who is an apprentice. But, as you mentioned, Fee, um, apprentices can't claim in this race because it's a listed race or black type races apprentices can't claim but the connections are still so happy with the way that Alana's been riding this horse he's won his last two starts with Alana in the saddle that they've kept her on for this race even though she's got no claim so that's another really good thing to point out so they're the two favorites in the race um, a couple of other chances like through Irish eyes will be very strong late is a real staying type but the one that I also want to mention, because I'm quite keen on their chances, is Luncy's horse number two. So this horse is actually trained in Newcastle, New South Wales, by Chris Lees, and has done all his racing this preparation uh, in Sydney. So he's been racing in Group 1s and Group 2s up there for their Sydney Autumn Carnival, which we've just had. And it was wet track after wet track after wet track, and he's been running really well. Now he's been given five weeks since his last start, which was in the Sydney Cup over 3,200 metres. 
He's been given five weeks to sort of freshen up since then. And now targeting the Andrew Ramson seems a really logical, you know, next point for this horse, really good placement from the stable because he is a genuine Melbourne Cup type, you know, come the springtime. And if they can win this race, he's got that golden ticket. So the thing is, we've got the two horses we've spoken about up on speed, the two favourites. Lunzi's likes to settle toward the rear of the field. So if the two favourites start to take each other on a little bit up on speed, I'm looking for something that might be, you know, in that stalking position and might just be able to swamp them late. And there'll be a couple of others in that same category. But the way Lunzi's been racing on wet tracks in Sydney, I've I think that he's going to measure up here now on a firmer surface down here in Melbourne. He brings different form to the rest of them. And I think he's a really top quality stayer. So at $6.50, I'm happy to side with Lunzi's. And I also really do like Splendiferous. She's going really well, that uh, filly who's the favourite. So they're the two for me. I have a bit of a query on Splendiferous just from what you've been talking about, Grace. I'm a little bit concerned about the seven-day backup with travel from Adelaide. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially being a mare, you know, that does make me a little bit nervous. It's a big trip from Adelaide to Melbourne and uh, with the seven-day backup, that's a lot to ask of a horse. So that would be my query on Splendiferous. And it's a genuine concern. So it's something you've got to um, factor in. It's one of those ones that's an unknown because if she comes out as favourite and runs poorly, you know, you can easily attribute it to the fact that she just didn't handle that big week for her. Um, But some of the little things that you can take into consideration is that her trainers, Gabe Waterhouse and Adrian Bott, they've got, um, they do a lot of travel with their horses. They target lots of different um, places and tracks. They've got Flemington base as well as a Sydney base. So she'd be used to the travel. And, and they know how to train to account for that, that, that travel trip. And she's rock hard fit. Um, obviously she would have spent lots of time on a float. So hopefully she, you know, isn't too phased by it. So it is something having said all that you're 100% right it's something that you have to factor in and it's just a little bit of a question mark whether she can handle it and still run to the level she did last Saturday okay so just to summarize in this race at Andrew Ramston you are with Lunsies and in the Derby you are with Jungle Magnate and Harley Moven that's correct I've got my two-pronged approach in the derby because it is a really tricky race like it's a huge field might as well have a go on two horses and then Lunsies is my way um, or the way that I'm playing the Andrew Ramson because I just know that that golden ticket for a genuine Melbourne Cup chance like they would have had this race on the radar for a long time. Well, Grace, we are out of time for this episode. It was so great to sit down and have a chat to Laura Lafferty this week. It was so good, wasn't it, Fee? I think everybody will be coming away with a better understanding of jockeys and the important role that they do play in racing. That's right. And for next week's episode, we will be doing a full form preview. So no deep diving, no decoding. We are going to get stuck in to the race day at Morfittville next weekend. It's the Group 1 Goodwood. Really excited for this one to put into play everything we've been chatting about over the course of this podcast. Yeah, it's going to be so good, isn't it, Fee? Because I feel like we've educated everybody enough now to be able to to be able to understand when we do a full form preview of the racing at um, in Adelaide on Goodwood Day, but also to come up with their own opinions. So um, definitely looking forward to next week's episode as well. 
Until then, guys, thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Please make sure to subscribe and to share the podcast and feel free to leave us some feedback on our socials. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. So good luck with your own selections over the weekend and we will see you next week on Ladies Who Punt. Thank you.